Jeff, Larry, Mark, Jacob, Jamie, Diane, Melissa, Brandon, Rob, Bill. When you heard those names, what came to mind? Did you have certain memories that came flying into your, to your brain? Did you have happiness when you heard some of those names? Or maybe a little sadness? I know, I hear you, I hear you. You heard my name, you kind of got squirmy, I understand. What about physical response? Smile, frown? Did your heart rate quicken? Get a little adrenaline going? Why do we feel these things? Why do we experience these emotions, these reactions at the mere mention of a name? That's the question. What is in a name? What makes a name so special? What makes a name bring such a strong emotion such as love or angst? What makes that name so powerful? That's the question we're going to be looking at today as we are studying through the third commandment. So if you have your Bibles, know that you do, whether hard copy or digital copy, open to Exodus chapter 20. It's one verse for today. It's Exodus 20, verse 7. And it says, You shall not have, take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So when we looked at the first two commandments, there is some weightiness to those commandments, right? The first commandment. It's about knowing and worshiping the only true God. Getting this wrong has great implications. Then the second commandment was about worshiping this true God in the right way. Again, worshiping wrong has a great and weighty consequence. Now to the third. It may seem like... Pressure's coming off. This is an easier commandment. It's not as heavy. It's not as weighty. It's not as serious as the first two. While some may think that, and if we're thinking that, we would be dead wrong, completely missing the point. Just getting it wrong, we're, we're missing who God is. If you look at the second part of that verse, of verse 7, and it says, The Lord will not hold him guiltless. This echoes the same language that was in the second commandment as well. That he will be visiting the iniquities. He will not be held guiltless. Anytime you see repetition in the scriptures with such strong language, take notice. Pay attention. This is the utmost importance to the Lord that we understand what he is trying to communicate to us. So the story goes, there's a particular church somewhere here in the U.S. And in that church are two men. One's been there for a good long while, well-established, good standing. Then there's a relatively new convert, just joined a few months ago. One Sunday after the service, these two men got into a fight. They started yelling at one another, yelling at one another over some dispute. Don't know what it was, but they were upset with one another. This was taking 
place right in the lobby of the church. Most of the members were still there and they were slow to leave because they wanted to see what was going on. What was going to happen between these two men? The men were getting louder and louder with one another. Faces are turning red. Veins are standing out in their necks and in their head. Finger pointing was everywhere. Finally, one of them put hands on the other and shoved him. He was pretty upset. So upset, in fact, that he finally said, curse this church, curse your God, and curse everyone here. Pretty sure his sweet little grandmother probably fainted at those words. Finally, some of the deacons got to the men who were yelling and pushing and shoving and said the famous words, you need to go talk to the pastor. And then for every pastor, that's the most favorite line he can ever be told. Go talk to the pastor. Well, the pastor is still shaking hands and assuring the wives that he didn't go over time and that their pot roast is fine back home for Sunday dinner. Well, the deacons got the men to the office. Pastor finally got to the office and they had a little meeting. Now, everyone who had left had heard about it and came back. And like, what happened? What do we miss? They wanted to know what was going on. No one else was leaving. Now, after some time, the pastor and the man came out of the office. Pastor got everyone's attention. He wanted to have an impromptu congregational meeting right then and there. He told them of the man's offenses. He wanted to call for an immediate vote to bar him from the Lord's table and to excommunicate him from the church. The vote was cast. It was nearly unanimous. That until the man repented for his actions and his outburst, he would not be part of this church. And this was done, as the pastor was saying, to protect the name of the Lord. I wonder if that happened in our lobby. Two men started fighting. One man curses God and curses God's people. How would we respond? What would we say? Now, did this story really take place? Not exactly, but it did happen. Turn to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus 24, verses 10 through 16. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and the man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelmite, the daughter of Debri, of the tribe of Dan. They put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemies the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemies the name, shall be put to death. How serious is it that we should not take the Lord's name in vain? 
Very serious. According to Leviticus, it's a matter of life and death. It's not a mere slap on the wrist. It's not going, ooh, I'm sorry to the Lord. It's life and death. Why? Why is it a matter of life and death? It's for the Lord's name is holy. His name is not Steve. His name is not Bill. He is the Lord. He is thrice holy. Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The name of the Lord is not to be taken flippantly. When his name is said, we should remember his greatness, his power, his majesty, his faithfulness. It should bring a sense of awe to our hearts. So with that, names. Names. The meaning of names. Not much thought is given to today to the meaning of a name. In the not-so-recent past, the meaning of the name held weight. People care to know, what did your name mean? Quick example. For me, my name. First name, William means resolute protector or strong-willed warrior. The last name, Rabidou, means famous or someone famous. So if you put it together, my name means I'm a resolute protector of someone famous. Now, I like that. That sounds strong. It sounds manly. It has purpose. It has direction. Yet, I did not know any of this until I was in college, and I actually looked it up one day for an assignment. No one cared enough to ever tell me this growing up. It wasn't important. Your name was Bill, it was Billy, whatever. It didn't mean anything. I didn't have to live up to its meaning. But now, now that I know that it actually has a pretty profound meaning, I have something to live up to. Now, I do think there is some resurgence of people caring about what names mean. For another example, my middle daughter's name is Lucy Joy Rabideau. Now, when we hear the word joy, we all have an image of what that means. Smiley, bubbly, uncontained excitement and energy. And Lucy is embodying that. She's growing into her name. She is joyous, and she desires to be joyous. There are times in the discipline room, she is crying, saying, Daddy, I want to be joyful like my name. She's getting it. She's starting to understand that at five years old, her name means something. Now, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, a person's name was important because the lexical meaning of that name reflected or was hoped to reflect something about that person. To God and to the people of Israel, God's names were especially important because they revealed aspects of who he was in himself and his actions within himself in relation to his creation. God's names represent him so much that how one treated God's name was equivalent to how one treated God. I'll say that again. God's names represent him so much, so perfectly, so precisely, that how one treated God's name was equivalent to how one treated God himself. 
If you want to cross-reference, Malachi 1, 6 through 7, and 11 through 14. So we can say names are much more than just a random assortment of letters. A name has meaning. A name has weight. For God's name is the sum total of his person, of his identity, and his character. So if you go back to Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, we all know the story of Moses and the burning bush. Moses is asking him, after God's given him instructions, go tell the people, go tell Pharaoh. And then Exodus 3, verses 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is God's self-revelation to Moses. I am who I am. It points to his self-existence and his eternality. None of us can say, I am who I am. We are not eternal. We are finite. The Lord is eternal. I am the one who is and will be. By bringing up the patriarchs, he is bringing up the past. For Moses, can he remember God's actions with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob? Can he remember God's promises with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Can you? Can you remember what God has did in the past so mildly in your life that you would praise his name at the drop of a pen? Do you remember the promises? Do you remember his actions? What did God promise he will do, and what did God do? Turn to John 8. So when the Lord is saying, I am who I am, he is speaking of all that he is, all that he has done, and all that he will do. So John chapter 8. John 8, verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yeah, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say... If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. 
I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Same words. Jesus just said, I am God. The Jews understand what he just said. That's why they picked up stones, because they thought, wrongly, he was blasphemous. But we know Jesus was not. He was speaking the truth. But when Jesus says, I am, I am the eternal one. I am the creator. I am the sustainer. I am, I am that I am. Back to Exodus. Exodus 33. Exodus 33, 17 through 23. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. While my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand. Until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God's very name is glory. As he is telling Moses, I will make my goodness pass before you and proclaim for you my name. His name is good. So good, in fact, that Moses still had to be hid and could barely see a glimpse of it. His name is glory. God's name embodies who he truly is. When you say the Lord's name in that one small little word, you're speaking of all who the Lord is, all that he has done, all that he is doing, and all that he is going to do. His promises. Everything. When you say Lord, you invoke all that he is, that is to be true, to be found in the scriptures. The Lord's name is not your name, nor is it my name. It's not your dog's name. It's not a common name. It is the Lord's and the Lord's alone. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Who did that? The Lord, not Moses. He says, I am your God. I'm the powerful one. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the only true God. All other gods are death 
and powerless. There is none other than me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You cannot contain all that I am in anything that you make. Any attempt to do that is to reduce me down to something I am not. Our Lord is alive and living. He is not mute. He is not deaf and unmoving. You shall, not, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. When you speak of me, you must do it rightly. I am a jealous God and will be known correctly. I am not an impersonal God, but a relational God. I have a name and it will be honored among you. Now for you and I sitting here in the 21st century, we're not in the desert, we're not at the mountain, Moses is not our leader, and we typically don't think about God's actions in the Old Testament first when someone says the name Jesus or Lord or God. For us, we immediately think of the cross of Christ. The work that he has accomplished there, the imputation of our sins to him and his righteousness to us, the forgiveness of our sins. We think about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the old man being put to death and the new man being made. A man who who went from hating God to loving God. The ongoing sanctification work in our hearts as the father so gently molds us into the image of his son. We think of our brothers and our sisters sitting in the pews next to us at church. We think of the work that Christ has done in their lives and so much more. When we say the name Lord, there's a lot there. It is not a quick fleeting thought, but there's a lot. When we speak of Christ, we are bringing to bear his lordship, his power, his majesty, his glory, He is our Savior. He is your Savior. The name of Christ is not to be mocked or ridiculed. It is to be reverent and worshipped because it is who He is. He is Lord. Matthew 6, 9. Hear and ponder the words of the Lord when He's teaching us to pray. You know these words, you can say it with me. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Christ, our Lord, he desires, he commands that we honor his father's name. And conversely, that the father commands us that we honor his son's name. Reflect and think upon all the times in the Psalms when the writers say, for your name's sake. For your name's sake, be gracious to me. Save your people. Hear my prayer. How many times have we read in the name of the Lord? In the name of the Lord, for your name's sake. Now, much more can be said about the names of the Lord. A full-on multi-part study can be done. I wanted to camp on this point for a while to really drive home the sheer weightiness of the Lord's name. It's not a trivial matter. If we don't get how important his name is, 
the seriousness of the third commandment is lost on us. I think we can definitely say we probably understand that pretty good now. All that was by way of introduction and my first point. So on the point two. So in the command, do not take the names Lord in vain. What does it mean to be vain? So to be vain means you're empty. It's nothing. It's worthless. Of no good purpose. False. Now, when you look at other translations, for the most part, almost all of them translate the Hebrew into vain. The NIV uses misuse, which it's not a bad rendition. But at the end of the day, it still it means nothing. It's empty. It's worthless. No good purpose. Falsehood. As we have seen earlier, the Lord's name is not a small matter. It's of primary importance. Hence why there is such a severe punishment should it be used wrong in the Old Testament. Take him out of the congregation, lay hands, stone him. For blaspheming the name of the Lord. So, as any good study that we have done in the commandments, what are the sins to avoid? I know that's why you really came here, so we're going to be there for a little bit. So what, how can we violate the third commandment? The list is extensive. Depending on how far back you read into church history, the violations can get interesting. Maybe some a little stretch, but they're there. So, make sure I'm on the right page. There we go. So in Leviticus 19.12, says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Hosea 10.4, they utter mere words. With empty oaths, they make covenants. In the Old Testament, when covenants are being made, whose name was invoked? The Lord's. So if you're making an empty oath, an empty covenant, and you're invoking the names, the Lord's name, you're in violation. Then Ezekiel has a lot of different examples how the third commandment can be violated. Now, anytime the third commandment is violated, it is falsely applying his name to an action in an attempt to justify that action. Now, when you really start breaking down different sins, almost all sins are a violation of the third commandment. I'll let you ponder on that and start applying it. Now, something that's helpful to do is to look at different catechisms and see what they have to say about this commandment. I have three examples. Our very own CFBC's catechism, the Heidelberg and Westminster. So CFBC catechism, question 74. What does the third commandment teach me? Answer, to reverence God's name, word, and works. Heidelberg, question 99. What is required in the third commandment? Answer, that we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or convenience be partakers of these horrible sins and others. And briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all of our words and works. I love the Heidelberg. It's always very heartwarming anytime I read it. Now, Westminster, Westminster Larger Catechism, question 112. 
What is required in the third commandment? Answer, the third commandment requires that the name of God, his titles, attributes, ordinances, the word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, lots, his works, and whatsoever else there is whereby he makes himself known, be holy and reverently used in thought, meditation, word, and writing by a holy profession and answerable conversation to the glory of God and the good of ourselves and others. Now, Heidelberg question 113. What are the sins forbidden in the third commandment? This is one sentence, by the way. I'm going to take a very deep breath and we will try to get through this together. The sins forbidden in the third commandment are the not using of God's name as required and the abuse of it in an ignorant, vain, irreverent, profane, superstitious, or wicked mentioning or otherwise using his titles, attributes, ordinances, or works by blasphemy, perjury, all sinful cursings, oaths, vows, and lots, violating of our oaths and vows, if lawful and fulfilling them, if of things unlawful, murmuring and quarreling at, curious prying into, and misapplying of God's decrees and provinces, misinterpreting, misapplying, or any way perverting the word or any part of it to profane jests, curious, unprofitable questions, vain janglings. If you ever heard the word janglings, it's 1 Timothy 1.6. But vain janglings or the maintaining of false doctrines, abusing it, the creatures or anything contained under the name of God to charms or sinful lusts and practices, the maligning, scorning, reviling, or any wise opposing of God's truth, grace, and ways, making profession of religion and hypocrisy, or for sinister ends, being ashamed of it or ashamed to it by uncomfortable, unwise, unfruitful, and offensive walking or backsliding from it. I moved to add this to our catechism to make all the kids memorize the answer. <laughs> be a good stretch for the teachers to work through that as well well that's that's a lot to take in you're going from one sentence answer in cfbc's catechism which is good to a very drawn out multi-faceted answer in westminster it's a lot to wrestle with now i could read that westminster about 20 more times and still find new things about it there's a lot there now i would encourage you to Get copies of CFC's Catechism, Heidelberg, and Westminster, and read through them. They're all available online for free as PDFs. You can save them to your phone, save them to your computer, and look at them often. It's a good way to strengthen what we know, to confirm what we know, and to stir up our affections for him who has loved us. So, I'd like to take a few examples from those and look at them a little more closely. Because we all like specificity and, okay, what's the thing I need to avoid? Our children love to know what's the exact rules I can stay within and be okay. We all want that. We all desire that. I've picked a few. I want to look at those at the time we have together. So we take God's name in vain when we speak slightly and irreverently of his name. Deuteronomy 28, that you may fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord your God. When we mention the names of earthly kings, we give them some title of honor as excellent majesty. 
So should we speak of God with sacred reverence that is due to the infinite majesty of heaven? If we wanted to give titles to mere men, how much more to the king of kings? We take God's name in vain when we use his name for our own ambitions, greed, or amusement. When we think by invoking God's name, that will get us what we want. A few examples. Televangelist. They peddle God's word to fill out their coffers. Health and wealth prosperity movement preachers. They say, do this. Send me $11.19 because of some verse in a random book and you will be well. If you think writing Christian books will get your bank account bigger. Selling Christian music so you can make that fast dollar. The name it and claim it movement. Making God the butt of a joke or the point of a pun. Now, I'm not opposed to funny things and jokes. I love to laugh. I love to smile. And I hope you do too as well. And I hope we can all laugh at ourselves. That we can be the, a pun. That we can be the butt of a joke. And it's okay. However... The Lord's name should never be used to get a laugh out of someone. We take God's name in vain when we use it with vain, empty repetition. Think of Matthew 6, 5 through 8. Now, while I'm saying this, that this vain, empty repetition, I'm not thinking of when a crisis is happening in your life and in my life, and we are just crying out to the Lord, going, oh, Lord. Help me. Be with me. Be near with me, O oh Lord. I'm not, I'm not talking about those things. Rather, I'm talking about using the Lord's name as a punctuation mark in a prayer. And you go, Lord, God, help me, God. Lord, I need this. Lord, God, you hear my prayers. Lord, Father. When we're just saying his name over and over and we're not giving any thought to it, we are taking his name in vain. There is a difference between a genuine cry versus not thinking of what we're saying because we don't know how to start and end a sentence during prayer. We take God's name in vain when we use it to curse or as an emotional outburst. Historically, cursing is to ask wicked things of God against our neighbor as if God were our executioner to carry into effect our desire of vengeance upon those with whom we are at variance with. To curse is to ask and to desire evil to someone by the hand of God. Emotional outburst. You know exactly what I mean by that. We've all heard it. Something happens and you hear someone say the Lord's name with force. Think about this. It's 3 a.m. You're out of bed. You're thirsty. You're going to the kitchen to get a drink of water. And kick that coffee table with your big toe. What do we do? Do we grimace and try to hold back a word? Or, or stepping on a Lego. We all have young kids. We've all stepped on Legos or something sharp and plastic. We have an emotional reaction to a physical stimulus. 
We all do. But, but provoking the Lord's name, even in essence, you're saying that it was the Lord's fault that this happened, that you stubbed your toe and you cried out. That's the Lord's fault. You stepped on that Lego and he caused you to be angry. We are saying that he is wrong for doing that, that his hand of providence is misapplied in our lives in that moment. Thomas Watson said this, he is not to be spoken of, but with a holy awe upon our hearts to bring his name in at every turn when we are not thinking of him is to take God's name in vain. How many are guilty here? Though they have God in their mouths, they have the devil in their hearts. We take God's name in vain when we substitute his name. Now, this goes in the same vein and same path as a previous point, but I wanted to bring this out. We may have done this ourselves, and we have certainly heard this done by others. Going back to the example of stubbing your toe against that coffee table, instead of saying, God, and there's an expletive, maybe say, oh, gosh, darn. We don't think of different phrases that have been said to avoid saying the Lord's name outright with some expletive. Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 5, 22 and 28. We know what the Lord says about anger in the heart. We have committed murder. Lust in the heart. We have already committed adultery. If we are cognizant, the words that we really want to say, that we are going to take the Lord's name in vain, but yet we then choose to use a different word. Did you really not take, did I not take the Lord's name in vain? It's a matter of the heart. We have to examine our hearts continuously. And if you struggle in this area, call upon the Lord for help. Put the old man to death and put on the new man. It won't happen overnight. It'll take time. It takes time to develop maturity and control over the tongue. But the Lord can provide and does provide the way out in those moments. But examine our hearts. Being mindful of what we say. We take God's name in vain when we worship him with our lips, but not with our hearts. God calls for the heart, Proverbs 23. The heart is a chief thing in religion. It draws the will and the affections after it. The heart is the incense in which perfumes our holy things. The heart is the altar which sanctifies the offering. When we worship God, but withdraw our heart from him, we take his name in vain. These people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Matthew 15. When our hearts are not here, you may be sitting in the pew. I'm sitting in the pew. I'm saying the words of the hymns. I'm reading the text in the scripture. But my heart is far off. I'm dishonoring the Lord's name. We take God's name in vain. When and in any way we profane and abuse his word. 
as we talked about earlier, if we're using God's word and peddling it to get money, to get honor, prestige, to get my name on that conference speaking circuit, to abuse my wife to get what I want by saying, Scripture says this, telling my children, the scriptures say this. You better honor me. I'm abusing them. I'm abusing the word. And I'm taking the Lord's name in vain. Now there are plenty more points that we can make. But I know you get the point. It all starts with the heart. The Lord desires a heart. Not empty words. Not empty actions. We looked at some of the sins to avoid. So what are the duties to obey? Turn to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. Notice the Sermon on the Mount is a powerful place to camp at. If you ever have questions about holy living. Matthew 6. Verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The positive of the command of do not take the Lord's name in vain is to hallow it. This means it is to be kept holy and set apart and reverenced. Remember that we covered in the beginning all about God's name. There is none like the Lord. He is is unique. His name is above all names and all will bend the knee to his name. No one's going to bend their knee to Bill. No one's going to bend their knee to Jeff, to Randy, to Diane, to anyone here. All will bend the knee to Christ and Christ alone. Since we know that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We also know that we should be slow to speak, quick to listen, and when we do speak, speak in truth and love. Therefore, we should take careful measure of the words we say, think, and our actions with those words. I'm going to end with an interesting application in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. It's a great right throne of judgment. Who's there? It's all those whose names are not in the book of life. And they're being judged for their thoughts, words, and deed, i.e. the sum total of that person. Now, we won't stand before the great throne of judgment, but all of our thoughts, words, and deeds are written down. And we're going to be held accountable. Thankfully, Christ as our advocate, we won't hear guilty. Damned. We will lay our crowns at the feet of Christ. But I bring it up because think about the first commandment that says, No other gods will be judged for what we think, will be held accountable for what we think. And for those whose names are not in the book of life, they will be condemned because they thought something else was the Lord. And the second commandment, no graven images. We will be held accountable for our deeds. What did we do 
to create idols of worship in our lives. Third commandment, no vain speech. We'll be held accountable for the words we have said about our Lord. The Lord desires to be known and to be known correctly. The Lord desires to be worshipped and worshipped correctly. The Lord desires to be spoken of and to be spoken of correctly. So when you hear the words, Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim, Jesus, Comforter, Helper, Strong Tower, Refuge. What does that bring to your mind? And how can we hallow those names?